All right, if you would, take out your Bibles, and you know, I just, I kind of, if it's okay with y'all, I'm going to open this, because it just is so amazing out here today. I just think we need to take it in. We were out there praying this morning, and you know, we're praying with our eyes open and just looking down, and it's just like, wow, what an incredible floor. It's just a mosaic out there, and it looks pretty awesome. I've heard some stories, it sounds like y'all are enjoying the colors and seeing the red grapevines and just so many things God is doing. And isn't it wonderful that God does it? It's like free, you know? We just don't have to work. We just wake up one morning and he goes, you're welcome. (laughs) And I can't wait until we are in here together and there's snow on the ground. I remember talking about that back in April when we started and I just keep waiting for that day. I hope we're able to get here, but (laughs) yeah, please put on your studs so we can be here. And I wasn't referring to Peter. Okay, let's get into the scriptures before I go sideways. If you have a Bible, please uh, turn with me to chapter 6 of Acts. This has been a great series so far. I really appreciated Jonathan's message last week. It was powerful, it was rich, it was so good. Again, just as God has been laying leaves on the ground, I feel like He's been. Um, blessing our teachers with the Holy Spirit as they've been teaching, just at, at another level. And I pray that happens today as well. I hope the Spirit will lead us as we go through the scriptures. Let's pray. Well, Father, we, we thank you that you are indeed um, putting us more in touch with you, God. I'm, I know, I'm sure you've been here all the time. Your power has been present the whole time. You've been speaking to us the whole time. But thank you for opening up our ears more lately. Thank you for letting us be more aware of you and of your presence in our life. And we want right now to hear from you again. Teach us from the scriptures. Change us where we misunderstand or where we're deceived. Inspire us where we are apathetic And God, correct us where we are wrong. We long to be in step with you. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been going through the ongoing story of the beginning of the church of Jesus. Uh, Not of Latter-day Saints, but of First-day Saints. And just seeing how the church has developed. And of course, the Holy Spirit is central to, to the development of the church. And we've had these wonderful little stories of what went on. And today we're going to make a transition from uh, talking about the church in public to talking about the church internally, some of the relationships and dynamics within the church. And I'm going to start in chapter 5, verse 41. So you remember what had just happened is that uh, the apostles are finding this great boldness in the Holy Spirit. And they're talking about Jesus in public in the temple courts. And the temple courts, by and large, belong to the religion of Judaism. And so the, uh, the leaders of Judaism are struggling because a different message is being taught and a different way is being spoken of. And they actually see it as a way that's contrary to the way of God because we're talk- they're talking about Jesus Christ, who they believe uh, was actually a blasphemous man who made claims that weren't true about himself. So it's no small thing. And in the Jewish community... The, uh, the Jewish rulers had a lot of power. They actually had the supreme court of the community, and so they could make some pretty heavy decisions, and they could make your life pretty awful if they wanted to. And that's exactly what they were doing for the apostles. The apostles 
are not listening to that Supreme Court, and they're going out in public when they're told not to, and they're continuing to say, Jesus is the promised Messiah that we have waited for for hundreds of years. Jesus is the one. And these religious leaders are saying, we do not believe that, and you need to stop. And so right here, this is the end of the part where they were flogged and told to stop teaching, and they head home. And here's their response. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin, that's the Supreme Court, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, obviously the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Not discouraged at all. And notice it says they continued to go from house to house and in the temple courts. The church right now is functioning in these two ways. They're meeting every Saturday in the temple courts and in the synagogue in a large meeting place like we are. And then they're meeting actually every day in houses around the city, much like we do today in the church. And in both places, they are strongly saying Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one we've waited for. Jesus is the promised one from God. And now we get into kind of an inside practical story about daily life in the church. So chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Most of you are familiar with this story, but just to remind you, the Hellenistic Jews are people who had chosen to adopt Jewish culture and Jewish language. They were, you know, they were absorbing the culture they were in, and then a lot of the Jewish people chose not to do that. I can kind of relate to this story because I am the fourth generation of a village of people from Germany that actually moved over as a village. They're actually from Prussia. So my ancestors had been... Re- had moved from Germany to Prussia, where they were farming wheat. They lived in a village, and Catherine the Great gave them land and said, please farm here because you're really good at it, and I will not ask you to fight in my army. And then years later, during the Bolshevik Revolution, she did say, actually, you are going to fight in my army. And my ancestors said, no, we're not. (laughs) We are Mennonite pacifists, and we don't kill people. So the whole village took up and moved to Kansas, And started churches in Kansas and started towns in Kansas. And some of those churches chose to speak German in Kansas. And so you could go to a German uh, service on Sunday morning for a couple of generations. But then there were others who said, you know, we're Americans now and we want to adapt. And so they started doing their services in English. So you had these two options of a German service or an English service. And this was just three generations ago, which is kind of crazy, right? That's what was going on here is you had these options to continue to listen to a message that was in Hebrew or Aramaic and to be a part of Jewish customs that were untouched by the Greek, or you could be a part of a Greek uh, worship time, teaching time, where they had adopted the Greek language and Greek cultures. So this church had now come together. These were Christians that had come from both of these kinds of synagogues into one church. And there was a little bit of prejudice going on. You know, you can imagine, unfortunately, the people from the old country kind of felt like they were a little more in control and, you know, we're, we're the fathers of this movement. And they were being a little bit prejudicial in the way that they were taking care of the widows. And so those who had switched over to the culture of the Greeks said, hey, this isn't fair. And the apostles agreed. So apparently this was a legitimate failure of social justice. So let's look at how they handled it. Verse 2, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us as the apostles 
to neglect the ministry of the word of God, remember, teaching every day, house to house and in the temple, in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the apostles recognized the need and they saw it as very significant and they wanted it to take place. But they were tapped out for investment in leadership for themselves. And they were using all of their time to pray and to teach the scriptures. And so they knew that that ministry would, would falter, would become less if they also took on this second ministry of taking care of, widows and, uh, taking care of the widows. So it's interesting what they asked for. They said, you choose from among yourselves seven people. And then there's this qualification who are known to be full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. What do you think about that? Why, why that high of a level of qualification if they're just going to be fair about the distribution of food? Okay. You need people of integrity to do this right. Okay. <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira just got killed. So being sloppy... And having poor character is apparently dangerous in the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tom. Yeah. Yeah, all of those characteristics that would be loving towards these women, right? Yeah, would. Right. Yep. So they really wanted to make much more of this responsibility than just simply getting the food out, but actually to be a ministry. And in a beautiful way, I think that what they're saying is we believe that all the things that we do as a church are sacred, that they are acts of God, and we are representing God as we do them. So even if I'm putting out coffee and donuts and water... I can do that in the name of Jesus, and my presence here can be powerful, and the Holy Spirit can use me and to, give, to show off love, joy, peace, patience as a person who's by the coffee machine, right? Yeah. Beautiful thing that there's a recognition here that everything that we can do in the name of Jesus, we should respect what we're doing, that it's significant, that it's not small. Let's go on, verse 5, <clears throat> and this is fantastic. This proposal pleased the whole group. How often does that happen? Just a whole new humanity. It's like, this sounds great. That's awesome. Let's do it. So good. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumbaa. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Harmenaeus, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Wow. Really important ministry. Not like just go do it, but we're going to ordain you in a way. We're going to pray over you. And look at this. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I don't know if you've noticed it yet, but every time there's a story in Acts, and then the story ends well, the church grows. This is like the fourth or fifth time it said, and there were people added to their number, and the church grew. 
And there's this beautiful pattern, and you notice it says, every time it says it, it's in chapter 2 twice, it's in chapter 4 once, and now it's in chapter 5, it says, and the Lord added to their number. And the pattern seems to be that if we will obey God, and we will love one another well, and we will be faithful and respectful of Jesus, that he's the Messiah, that we will enjoy this kind of community and relationship, and then God will add to our number. You know, not really to take us, well, I don't even need to say that. It seems as though what God is saying is if you will be my people and you will be people of character and respect and you'll love each other well, I will draw other people to join you and the church will grow and my kingdom will grow and my family will grow. Just a beautiful picture. And I I feel like we're living in this picture in Sherwood, you know, that we are experiencing the goodness of God as we're moving along and we're growing a church, and we're finding out what God wants us to do, and then we're adding that. You know, for instance, adding Alpha, I feel like it was a step of obedience. It was an amazing opportunity for the YMCA to come to us and say, hey, we want to do Alpha, and we need somebody who's had experience. Would you come and partner with us? And it's been great. We've been going for six weeks, and there's been about 20 to 25 people coming. And I just have to say thank you so much to the McKinney's who have been really faithful to invite friends and neighbors and bring them. And, and they've been helping set up and tear down. And I just feel like they're doing a holy ministry and they're doing it respectfully. And thank you, Rich, for that. And thank your wife for that. It's been so encouraging to be there. Derek has been there as part of it. The Lewises have been there faithfully setting up. I just love it. It's so much fun. And um, we just let happen what happens. We trust that the Holy Spirit is there and we hang out with people and we listen to a half hour teaching and we have dinner together. We had Spaghetti Factory this last week. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> and then we watched a video and then for 30, 35 minutes, we just said, what do you think? What do you feel? What did you think about what they said? This week it was on, what was the topic this week? The Bible. Yeah. How do we read the Bible well? Just an amazing time. We only have two more weeks, uh, but we're going to keep going. And I'm just imagining that, that God is saying, well done, good and faithful team, and I'm going to add to your number. And again, not, not that we're trying to necessarily grow this church. Um, I don't want to give you the idea that that's our goal, but it, it's just going to happen because we're loving each other well and because God is present, and more people need to experience what we're experiencing. So that's going to happen. One of the most applicable things that I want to bring to you today is this reality that we are coming into a season where the, the, those that are really faithfully serving um, are starting to get a little tapped out, just like these apostles were. And there are going to be new opportunities moving forward for ministry. And we're in kind of a similar season where we kind of need to choose from among us a few men and women who we can entrust to faithfully serve. Um, we're not going to pick you. <laughs> Not yet. I mean, maybe it'll come to that, but, but we'd love for you to volunteer. But I, I want to encourage all of us to begin to ask, um, is there a ministry? Is there a sacred place for me or for me and my spouse or me and my kids where we could invest like these deacons did? And what this started was a whole new level of stewardship and leadership within the church. And we want to make sure that as we are seeing people who are volunteering to work with kids who are volunteering to be a part of Alpha, who are helping set up and tear down on a Sunday, that all of that we see as sacred work and uh, that we treat it that way, you know, with respect and not lightly. Uh, One of the biggest challenges in our culture today 
is responsibility. And after 40 years of pastoring in churches, I would say the number one consistent challenge is, is finding ourselves willing to take responsibility for something in the church because it, it, all of a sudden then it depends on us. And I know we definitely have really full lives and we have a lot going on and everything we're doing is probably worthwhile. I doubt many of you are wasting your life or wasting your long evenings playing hours of video games or whatever, whatever wasting time is in our culture. Um, so to say yes to something like that might be saying no to something that's actually good that's going on in my life. But I really do believe this is a hump for us to get over as Colossae Sherwood that we're at a point where... Gosh, I'd love to ask each one of you, is there some responsibility that you would be willing to take on in the name of Jesus and create it as a sacred ministry? Uh, because we want to reach out and serve in Sherwood. We want to bring the gospel through Alpha and maybe through Youth Alpha and reach more and more kids. It's really time for us to consider what it looks like to work together to disciple our children well. This church is on the front end of having a significant number of youth. Right now, there are seven young middle school women out there with Sarah Gloss learning the scriptures, and they are excited to be a group. And, and we are going to meet today as elders and staff and pray and talk about how can we take really good care of these girls and their brothers and set up a ministry for the rest of you who are just now having children and who are coming up. Because I believe moving forward in the next five years, Colossae Sherwood will have a very significant ministry through and to young people in this area. It's desperately needed. There isn't a lot of strong youth ministry in this city. And these children are following their parents in this idea that I just my life is so full of my sports and my school and my extracurricular activities, and there's really no space to know God and to experience God and to find out that the most important thing you could ever know right now is not very important in the culture that you live in. And so I believe we have an opportunity to, to set that groundwork now. The great thing is they're your kids, so you're going to care about a good youth ministry. <laughs> Young Life and FCA do extremely well when, when volunteers are there who have parents in the ministry because it's double time. You get to spend time with your kids while you're also doing sacred work for God, and it's going to be your kids. And so we're going to need people. Um, the groups that we have leading worship and teaching are working hard, and they're not tapped out, but they're, if I ask them to do one more thing, they're going to tell me, gosh, I can't. I really can't. And so I, I would ask you, as you especially move into the new year, is this a good time for you to make a little bit of a lifestyle shift and say, you know what? I could let go of this piece of my life so I can embrace this piece of my life, of the church, and really ante in and really make a contribution of my time and of what I'm good at and of what I'm passionate about. Because uh, that time is coming. And the time is here right now. So I want to ask you, uh, as, as I've been talking, what are you thinking? Respond to what I've been saying. The whole message, or even especially just this last idea. Yeah, Peter. Mm-hmm. Or, and it's even a lie that sometimes churches, 
Such a good word. Yeah, I don't want to add to that. I, I, we just have kind of a default culture, and it's the way things that, that we do things. So I, I don't have a sense that there's rebellion in the ranks, or that there's laziness in the ranks, or that there's a resistance to giving. I just I think we just have a culture where it just doesn't happen too much. There's this thing called the 80-20 rule, and every leader knows about it in the church. And 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and it's just a reality. And, and so please don't hear today as um, any sense of scolding or challenging or... And I know that you've all been a part of that before. Some of you have had some very abusive experiences in churches. And I'm sorry to hear about that. And I hope that you can distinguish the way we are leading here from that. That we are not compelling, that we are not demanding, that we are not uh, placing high expectations and being controlling. Not at all. I hope you sense the grace and the, the openness of leadership here. And I want to add one thing to what Peter said. Um, w- there's no way that me and the elders are going to be able to figure out all the things that you could do in ministry and then invite you to something in particular. I would hope that ministry ideas and the originality of ministry actually comes from you and that you're not waiting around for us to figure out what we could do as a church that would perfectly fit you and then invite you into it. I, we just don't read minds that well. <laughs> but I would, I would hope that you would say, God, what have you created me for? What have you created me and my husband for? And what could we add to the family at Sherwood that isn't even there right now? And I would say especially, you notice how all of this started today. It says, a complaint arose and, and if you have been feeling something about Colossae Sherwood that you feel like is missing, or wouldn't it be amazing if, or why don't we do that, that might be a sideways prompt from the Holy Spirit who would want to say to you, yeah, why don't you do that? <laughs> yeah, why don't you bring that up? That's a great idea, and that's from me. So maybe consider what for you is feeling like, gosh, I just, you know, there's one thing missing. I love this church, and it's great, but this is missing. Maybe that's the thing that God is equipping you because you have a vision already for it to bring to Colossae Sherwood. Consuela? Sure. Yeah, and that is the question that we're regularly asking as elders. It's just our, our mission, if you haven't heard me say it before, and I have, is your maturity, your wholeness, your joy. I, I'm desperate for every one of you to know how deeply God loves you and how your entire life he has been circling around you and providing for you and sending people into your life and giving you opportunities, and healing you. And I, w- I want to make sure, if you're not already, that you wake up to that reality that God is so for you, and so for me. And because we are God's people, I am for you. And Peter is for you, and Kevin is for you. Everyone in this room is for you. And we want to live into the fullness of that. We just want you guys to be 
full of joy and peace and believe that the world is telling a story and they're sucky storytellers. They're telling a horrible story. <laughs> the story that's told out there about what life is is horrible. And God is telling a very different story. And he tells us in the scriptures and he tells us through the Holy Spirit that I'm present and I created you and I love you and I've done all the work to get you over the hump of the brokenness and the woundedness that's in your life. And I am here to make you whole and I'm here to make you strong and I'm here to fill you with love, joy, peace. Like this is the story and it's not hype and this is not a pep talk. I'm speaking the truth about God. All of this is true. And this is the story that you have to be preoccupied with. We need to, if, if you're not preoccupied with that story, please stop listening to the sources that are telling you those other stories. I had to give up the news three years ago because I, I was being told a story that's a horrible story. There's truth in it, and there's a lot of not truth in it, but it was a bad story. And since I gave up that story, oh man, so good. <laughs> And I read my Bible as the story of how much God loves me and how much he loves every human. And that's the story that we sing about in our songs, and it's the story you read about the scriptures. That's the story we have to live into. And that's the story we need to tell our city. God is good, and we were created in his image. People, by and large, are good. I know that it's true that we understand original sin, but do you know what came before original sin? original goodness created in the image of God. That image still exists. And there's a bunch of people around you who don't even know Jesus yet, who exude the image of God. And that's the story we need to tell. We want to be good humans. We want to live well. We want to be kind and we want to be loving, but we're really broken and we cannot pull it off very well. And in Jesus, we can pull it off. That's the story that we need to be telling Wow, where are the kids? They should have shown up by now. <laughs> Let me pray. And Peter, you can come up. You guys come get ready and we'll start working.